I had an Uber client today ask me a very astute question. He was a vegan, and his friend, they both shared the Uber ride, was probably vegan too. They were both quite slender. They were both Canadians, and they were remarking how the rain down here is nothing by comparison to what happens up in Canada. They called it liquid snow. <laughs> anyway, he asked me a very astute question. I was describing to him... He, he asked me, well, he asked me a set of questions, a series of questions. The first one was, or one of them was, what's your religion? And I said, you know, my whole life I never knew what my religion was. I had no idea until recently in the course of lecturing my captive audience among my various Uber clients, I realized what my religion was, or is. It's honesty. I, uh, I didn't elaborate the fact that... Um, I'll sacrifice anything to, to 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 remain honest. In fact, I don't even tell a lie when I tell a joke. I don't have to. I pick a, a truth that's so extreme I know the listener will not believe me, and I laugh along with them, and they think I'm lying, and I'm actually not, and we both retain our expectancy of what constitutes a so-called choke. Okay, oh, I'm just kidding, you know. <laughs> it's okay to lie if you're kidding, right, sure. <laughs> For the first, <laughs> whatever. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> if uh, because I told him, if I tell a lie, I break my connection with the source. And he said, well, how do you know you're connected to the source? He, knows what, he, kn he knew what, the, what I was talking about. He knew what the source is. How do you know that you are connected to the source? How do you know this? So there are two reasons. <clears throat> One is that when I was trying to make sense out of what Peter Lindemann said in front of my face to another individual about Stanley Myers, the secret behind Stanley Myers' um, so-called water-fueled engine technology, I didn't get it right away that he gave me everything I needed to know. And so I went through an exercise of creating... Um, a uh, slideshow presentation with narration while I was living in Washington State at the time. I think this was 2013 going into 2014. I was trying to grope for an understanding when he had already told me and I had forgotten. And only in the course of doing that exercise of doing several videos and keep making them longer and longer, talking about everything other than what the, 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 uh, what Peter Lindemann said, Eventually, I remembered what he said, and then I looked up the electronegativity of nitrogen, hydrogen, oxygen um, to try to figure out when they're combined into like ammonia or water and oxygen, O2. Does it make sense, chemically speaking? Can I find a second source for what Peter Lindemann had, had described? And I did, in the field of electronegativity. Um, it was completely... Uh, correct to use a dielectric field to break down um, the molecules of oxygen, O2, and the molecules of water vapor in the atmosphere or that you have collected in your um, in place of the gasoline in your gasoline tank that you're driving around so you know you just carry water with you but you break down the nitrogen, the N2 in the air. So the N2, the O2, and then the water that you carry in your gas tank, you break everything down using a dielectric field. Very high voltage according to um, uh, Herbert, was it Herbert Anderson? 
Herbert Anderson, I believe was the name. He also had a similar technology, slightly different apparently, but pretty much the same. And so using that, the details of that as my standard of reference, he used 70,000 volts positive polarization. Now, Peter didn't say, I think, what the voltage was. He just said a high voltage of positive polarization, but we know that Herbert Anderson used um, 70,000 volts. And he was into, he was a physicist, trained as a physicist, and he knew about ions. So, filling in the gaps of what Peter Lindemann had described, uh, he said a screen. When you pass the, the water, no, you pass the air intake through a screen, and then you also insert your electrodes into your um, tank of water <clears throat> that you're creating, you know, you're splitting it into hydrogen and oxygen. Um, but you don't have to use current, you use high voltage. Now, there was a fellow, I can't remember his name, in the 2015 conference, Science and Energy and Technology Conference, who gave a presentation and said there was a frequency that you can use. So it, there are all these different ways of splitting water very economically, <clears throat> in which you don't, it doesn't cost you a whole lot of wattage because it doesn't cost you a whole lot of current. <clears throat> Once you do the splitting, then you mix everything up, maintaining that high voltage dielectric field, and then you remove it, <clears throat> and a funny thing happens. The nitrogen wants to combine with the hydrogen to create ammonia rather than going back to the prior state. Because of the electronegativity, the nitrogen, the, the uh, monoatomic nitrogen and the monoatomic hydrogen want to unite. Uh, once you've gotten the nitrogen broken down, and the triple bond of dinitrogen in the atmosphere is the strongest chemical bond you can imagine. It, it's so, it, so nitrogen does not readily combine with hydrogen because it doesn't want to. It's already bound to each other. It's comrades. <clears throat> but in a highly dielectric field, you literally create ammonia. And as I recall, the early days of uh, the Earth, when we had no plant life, no oxygen, all we had was methane gas and ammonia in the atmosphere, things like that. Because of all the lightning that was zipping around in the atmosphere, everything was supercharged. So you get ammonia, and then you get a residue of hydrogen left over if you do everything just right. If you inject the right amount of hydrogen into the mixture you know, that you broke down from the water. And the hydrogen is necessary to ignite the ammonia because the ammonia has all the power, but you can't ignite it very readily. While hydrogen ignites readily, but it implodes and doesn't have a whole lot of energy when it does so. And all you can do is idle your engine if all you have is hydrogen to run your engine off of that you split from water. You won't be able to accelerate out of your driveway into uh, a freeway traffic, let alone go up a hill. Now, since Stanley Meyer didn't do his technology on the moon, requiring you to carry around canisters of air along with um, your water, he could hide the fact that he was using nitrogen from the air along with oxygen, along with um, hydrogen from water. <clears throat> but transport planes uh, during World War II flying across the Pacific had huge intakes and modified spark caps to be able to take advantage of the water in the in, close to the surface of the ocean and the oxygen in the air and the nitrogen in the air and boost their perform their mileage reduce their usage of of fuel gasoline fuel to get across the Pacific Ocean by supplementing with ammonia and hydrogen 
So, where was I coming from before I got waylaid off on a sidebar? Ah, yes. <clears throat> so, when I eventually figured out what <laughs> what Peter Lindemann had said by remembering what he said and verifying it through a second source, namely the topic of electronegativity, I now knew how Stanley Meyer did. I understood what Peter Lindemann had previously said, and I was just... I mean, that first conference in 2013, I was in a daze. I, I hadn't slept the night before. I came in on the wrong... I didn't come in at Spokane Airport. I came in in Seattle. I messed everything up, and I had to drive all night long practically to get to um, Idaho the next day to make it to the morning conference. I mean, it was a mess. I could barely stay awake to listen to John Bedini talk about his interferometer style of uh, turning a mono recording into uh, better than quadraphonic. It was unbelievable. It was so remarkable. But I could barely stay awake. Anyway, what was I getting to? Oh, in the course of making these slideshow presentations, somebody on the end, I was posting them. I, I did a series <laughs> before I remembered what Peter Lindemann had said. And one of the, uh, my critics on YouTube said, oh, blah, 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 that's not true, blah, blah, that's a bunch of crap, something like that. And I thought to myself, you know what? I know what he's saying is a lie or a falsehood. I know that. But I don't know. Maybe he knows something I don't know. The minute I thought that thought, I lost my connection to the source. And I'm telling you, the light went out in heaven. Because when you're connected to the source, it's not just knowledge you get. Sat-chit-ananda means sat, energy, intelligence, chit, ananda, bliss. You get the whole package when you're connected to the source. But only if you don't tell a lie according to this one way to do it, this one channel that I have already developed from some past life because I was kind of born with that, you know. I was When I was four years old, I could not brag. I could not curse. Now I can curse. <laughs> I'm losing my grip. Um, and I had to have my playmate girlfriend translate for me because the other snooty, uh, snotty girls or boys um, couldn't understand why they tried to set me up with a question to get me to brag, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't answer them. And they were going, what the fuck, you know? And the, my playmate uh, friends, you know, had to, had to speak for me on my behalf. I felt like um, Moses and Aaron had to speak for me, you know, kind of thing, because uh, she literally uh, said, well, he can't brag, you know? That's why he can't answer your question, because it would require him to brag. And they go, oh, Oh, I see. <laughs> they understood. Now I can brag and I can curse. <laughs> I can do both. Oh, God, I'm I've, I've, miserable, miserable. I've managed to fit in slightly. But I still have this problem about lying. I even had an argument with an Uber driver one time who was taking me somewhere. Oh, you have to lie to get a, around in today's world. No, you don't. Oh, he was vehement. Anyway, no, I couldn't say anything to convince him. It was impossible. impossible. So... There was this guy on the internet, and I posited the thought, well, maybe he's got something there. I don't know. What is? What do I know, you know? Maybe he knows something I don't know. And so I lost my connection to the source. I'm telling you, it was hell. It was pure hell for 12 hours. I got down on mental knee and begged for forgiveness. Please, 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 please take me back. Please, please. She made me beg. Mother Divine made me beg for 12 hours straight. I didn't let up and she didn't let up until half a day had passed and then it was like heaven broke through. 
uh, and it was just fantastic. And I thought, never again, never again will I slight her, never again will I denounce her, never again, because I could stand going going through that loss again. It once was bad enough; it was horrible. I'm accustomed. I'm so accustomed to that linkage. I don't know when it came about, quite frankly, but I seem to have been born with it. So I don't know. I don't know. I've lost track, <laughs> or I never bothered to investigate, or I just take it for granted. I think that's the problem. It's been around so long. I take it for granted. But then I have to, you know, I appear queer to people. Very, you know, not queer in the gay sense, although that's a separate issue. <laughs> but weird. Queer, weird, call it what you may. And I take it for granted, so I never bother to explain it. Well, this podcast, I'm attempting to explain it. Okay? <clears throat> Maybe I gained it when I opened up my third eye chakra 13 or 14, 1500 years ago living in the south of uh, what now we consider to be Russia. It wasn't Russia at the time. And I was a woman with golden hair, uh, blonde hair, uh, shoulder-cropped, blue eyes. And I was quite happy for most of my lifetime. I was just miserable in the beginning and at the end. But for the most part, in the middle, I was quite happy because I managed to open up the third eye chakra. And that's a major chakra. That's a major accomplishment. I haven't been able to make any major accomplishments since then. I'm pretty stubborn about, oh, I like it here. I don't want to, I don't want to grow any further. I want to stay right where I am. <laughs> it's really. But I've managed to contribute to society over many lifetimes in this capacity. Because when you have that ability, you can really help humanity. You can really help people with it because you can discover anything you want about anything or anyone. Anyway, so I don't know if it happened back then or if it happened earlier than that, but, you know, it could have been thousands of years ago. I don't know. It's just been so long I've long since forgotten when I made honesty my religion and so much so that I take it for granted. Anyway, so that's one example. But here's a second one. Just to show you how much I take it for granted and how ingrained it is in my consciousness that I don't even think twice about it. Here it is again. And, and I grew up in this lifetime in a family among liars, cheaters, and thieves. And I was considered the black sheep. And I've been persecuted royally for it, which I now get to live homeless because of that. I wasn't like uh, Eric Dollard, kicked out when he was 16. I wasn't kicked out when I was 16. I was kicked out about six years ago. Or it set the stage of beginning to be kicked out. And then two, and then two years it became official, but it did not become physical until last August. About five and a half months ago, I became homeless. So I must have had a lot of good karma to prevent me from having to go through what Eric Dollard has had to go through from a much earlier age because um, I know I was trained many lifetimes ago into public service. It's a kind of path of yoga in which it intensive... I'm sorry for all these, these sidebars, but it's kind of necessary for you to understand the background here. Uh, public service is a kind of path of yoga in which in the West, when you don't have access to yoga or masters... What you have access to is public service, in which you sacrifice, I suppose, if you can put it that way, sacrifice some of your selfishness and broaden your perspective, your horizon of who 
you try to look out for. And that makes that intensifies your karma. So that if you make a mistake, it's a really big mistake. If you make um, a graceful act that benefits people, you benefit a lot of people, and that benefits your e- evolution. Either way, you accelerate your evolution, whether you do it the hard way, by mis- big mistakes, or whether you do it the nice way, by helping lots of people. Either way, you accelerate your progress, kind of like yoga, what yoga does. In fact, it's not kind of. It is similar to yoga. And it's probably, uh, most of the time, the only technique available in the West, unless masters of yoga came out from the East, which was rare, or you went to India and sought out a master, again, which was rare. I mean, Atlantis had this knowledge, but they knew they were going to sink eventually and and their society be destroyed. So missionaries went out in all directions, taking the knowledge of Atlantis, different parts of that knowledge, in the all directions from the compass, and the Vedas were taken to India to actually the the um, what is it the Caucasus, Caucasus Mountains, dividing Russia with India, um, if I have that correctly by geography, um, and it was deposited there. And then when the Indo Aryan well when the Aryan race invaded India, they took the Vedas with them and brought it into India because India didn't really have it. They had their own Jain tradition, Jain religion, uh, pantheistic, you know, just like Europe was before the Christians' uh, missionaries arrived. Anyway, um, let's see, where was I going with this? Um, oh, so I think it's probably all those lifetimes in, of public service. Sometimes I was a despot and I abused my pr- uh, power and privilege on more than one occasion. And uh, I was nuts, I, or either that or I went insane. Yeah, on several occasions, now that I think of it. But it goes back gazillions of thousands of years that I started on this trend, and Charlie Lutz got me started on this. Um, I think it was the first time I met him, the first time he became he became enlightened. Um, and that would put it a long time ago. <laughs> That's putting it bluntly, or mildly or bluntly, whatever. So that, I think, helped. But anyway, so enough of that sidebar. Now, there's another um, line, there's another reason why I answered this Canadian guy, this Uber client today, the way I did. And I told him, when I was a teenager, I did what's called, in ancient Greek, in ancient Greece, uh, they had something called didactic style of logic or reasoning, if you prefer. D-I-D-A-C-T-I-C in the English. <laughs> I don't know. Didactic sounds uh, like an adjective uh, or adverb. Ad- adjective. So I'm not sure what the noun version of that word would, would be. D-I-D-A-C-T-I-C. And <clears throat> what it is essentially is very simple. <clears throat> it, what it is, it's a technique for transcending the relative. Just like Maharishi Mahesh Yogi came out with TM, this is a technique the ancient Greeks possessed. And I don't know who taught it to who. Take any guess you like. I'm willing to say Socrates to Plato, Pythagoras to his disciples. Guess whatever you like. I don't know. 
<laughs> because those are two occasions I would have learned it <laughs> because I know I was in those two occasions. So um, either one or both, whatever, doesn't matter. Maybe some other occasion. Um, be that as it may, the technique is this. You take a thought, any thought, and we always have thoughts, right? And you ask yourself the question, what thought led to this thought? And you seek it out. And when you find it, however long it takes, maybe if it's too hard, pick another thought. I don't know. But it's usually best to stick with it. Because if you stick with it, you'll get results. If you keep hopping around, you won't get anywhere. So you stick with it, and then you ask yourself, okay, what thought was prior to that thought? And you keep going backwards, however long it takes. Because the interesting thing about it is it starts to accelerate very imperceptibly at first, but very gradually, and then it keeps accelerating, keeps picking up speed. Before you know it, it's on autopilot. You're not doing it anymore. The subconscious takes over, and before you realize it, you've transcended the whole relative field. You experience Turiya and Samadhi, whatever you want to call it, transcendental consciousness, and you're transformed by it. And I did that once as a teenager. And it was before I started TM. And prior to that, I was never allowed to see the source. As a four-year-old, I wanted to. I knew it was there. I saw the thoughts, the bubble, my, my thought bubbles come from there. They were self-luminous polyhedra. And they were not thoughts that I created. They were the thoughts of God. They were exquisitely beautiful diadems of jewels, not a hint of imperfection in them because no human mind had ever made them, and they're eternal. They, they, just, they, they exist forever and ever. And something, my soul, for lack of a better word, was feeding me these thoughts, trying to see if I would become enticed to get involved with them. And, you know, analyze them, perceive them, hold on to them, look at them, look over them, uh, try to understand them, get involved. And if I didn't show any interest, after three or four attempts, it would try a different set of thoughts. But a constant stream of consciousness, constant stream of bubbles of thoughts that were self-luminous polyhedra. Each one a paragraph, if you translated it into a speech language, each line segment of that polyhedra taken in one direction at a time was worth about a sentence in some human or other speech language. And you could not predict, it was impossible to predict what the opposite complementary thought was taking that line segment in the opposite, before you take that line segment in the opposite direction to view it and see what its thought is. The only way you could know is to take the opposite view or to know the whole view of the whole polyhedral complex of of sentence structures that makes up that paragraph of thought. Now, obviously, I had both the left and right hemispheres of the brain integrated. In order to, to visualize these objects in my awareness, my visual cor- uh, cortex of my brain awareness, and analyze them as speech meant that I had to receive it on the gestalt side of my brain and analyze it with the linguistic analytical side of the brain. And that meant I had to have full communication between the two halves of the brain, which I was born with. 
so I can translate emotions into their corresponding thoughts, thoughts into their corresponding emotions. And it's a whole lot easier to know the thought of an insect, let alone a fetus, let alone a horse or an animal, let alone a human. It's a whole lot easier to, to know what they're feeling than it is to know what they're thinking. And then translate that emotion into its corresponding thought and get a pretty good estimate, vague idea of what they're thinking without actually having telepathic reception of that individual, that creature. Anyway, um, God, where did I come from <laughs> to get off on this tangential line of, re of thinking? Um, oh, so as a four-year-old, I could see these bubbles coming from a source. And I knew what the source was, but I was not allowed to access it directly to cognize the source. And I had a fit of anger against God because I thought, gee whiz, this sucks. <laughs> you allow me to see your creations, but you don't let to me, allow me to see you? What are you, nuts? <laughs> Why are you baiting me like this? Why are you tormenting me like this? I thought this was cruelty to the max. But, you know, oh, oh, that was it. I remember now. I received the thought um, that I will be lonely for a certain length of time, which, according to God, can be a pretty long from our standards, but not very long from God's standards. And then after a certain length of time, um, I will achieve, uh, you know, union or, or you know, uh, direct connection with the source, and it will be unbroken. <clears throat> But I was not allowed to have any cognition, let alone unbroken cognition with the source at that time. And so it was a horrible tease, although it was a premonition of the future. And it has yet to happen <laughs> in an unbroken way. <clears throat> um, because right now it's more through the sense of touch than anything else. It's, I, I'm like a blind man in which I feel the thought before I know the thought. So I know it is a vague feeling and then I gain awareness of it as it comes better into view and I put more more attention, time, time, I spend more time attending to it and then it becomes a fully ripened thought with all kinds of details. But it's not that way in the beginning. So it's a very vague connection with the source. But in order to maintain even that vague connection, I cannot tell a lie of any type regarding anything, whether it comes from the source or not. Because then why should the source trust me with its knowledge? Why should it if I go and, and, and um, mistreat any other knowledge, let alone the knowledge from the source? <clears throat> so it, it becomes a kind of fanaticism in a sense because I would not want to lose this for anything. It, it, it would be horrible and I've already been through it. I don't want to go through it again. So at the risk of being weird, uh, persecuted, crucified, Call it what you like, because it's all of the of the above and more. I can't afford to lose that connection. I can't afford to. Um, so I have to tell the truth as I know it to be, and not as how somebody else knows it to be. That's why nobody can get me interested. Oh, uh, you got to check out so and so and 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 learn what they're doing with free energy. No, I can't afford to, <laughs> because that's not a source. That's just a person. 
unless they are connected to the source, and very few are. And I don't want to embarrass anyone by naming names, but um, I know a few, and it's um, helpful, um, but it's very rare. Most of the time, people are not connected to the source, and that's why I can't be distracted. I can't afford to be distracted by whatever somebody else is doing. I can't afford it. Okay, um, I think I've covered everything. Yeah. Now, I know it sounds like bragging, but and I knew this as a four-year-old, but you can't help it. When you're ahead of everyone else, the only way you can try to inspire people, it, it's sure it's going to sound like bragging, but how else are you going to give people something to hope for when you know they're walking around in the dark and you know there's something better? And you can't uh, stand seeing people suffer in ignorance. And my talking doesn't make it any easier for you. At most, maybe a little smidgen in the sense that it plants a seed in your brain to have hope. You know? If nothing more. Because I'm not telling you how to go about it to achieve what I've achieved. Uh, Well, no, I did. Public service. There you go. So you wouldn't even have to pursue yoga or uh, austerities of any sort unless you think that public service is a type of austerity, which in a sense it is, because you have to sacrifice some of your selfishness on behalf of other people and think about them for a change. And very few people on this planet care what happens to anybody else other than themselves or maybe their immediate family if it goes that far. Um, But I doubt it even goes that far. In most cases, they have the semblance of looking after other people when in fact they do not and couldn't care less. And I was born in that kind of family. Among people who know better, two people who know better but act otherwise. They act as if they don't care about anyone else but themselves. And it could be for a very good reason. They went through a lot of torture and torment (laughs) preceding my coming on the scene. Because uh, my father uh, practiced an austerity, which these other two people didn't want to have any part of. But they were dragged along with it. And if it wasn't for the austerity, I wouldn't have been born to this family. So, yeah, they resent my father for what he did to them. And me, I couldn't give a shit. (laughs) I mean, so what, you know? It's like means nothing to me, yet it it means everything because I wouldn't have been born otherwise. Had my father not been a raw food vegan at a time when uh, nobody ever heard the word. And he didn't even, it wasn't even called that back then. It was called hygienic diet. Unfortunately, there were also alcoholics and so was I before I was born because um, my father made a humongous error of how he went about it. But it shows how much strain he had to go through to do it. It was not effortless. And really, the the whole hallmark of this age that we're coming into is effortlessness about everything, which normally we don't call that. We call it a technological age, an age of information, an information society. But that's what technology is. It's predicated on information. And its intention is to make life more convenient, more effortless, easier, to live your life and enjoy it to the fullest without having to be distracted by suffering 
which is quite a distraction at times. So we're not out of the dark tunnel yet, but I think it's we the light has been appearing at the end of the tunnel for quite some time now. Probably more than 50 years. Probably when Maharishi Mahesh Yogi met his master when he was just a young youth in the middle of college, of his college days when he met his master, I think that's when it began. It probably started even before that when his master was born, but um, that goes back a ways. That actually goes back to right after the Civil War, actually, our Civil War here in the West. So you could say, I guess, the Civil War was the beginning. The, the freeing of the slaves was the beginning. Although it was a horrific period in our history, it was the beginning of the light at the end of the tunnel, was freeing the slaves here in the West. And then gradually, by degree, uh, various other hallmarks, uh, milestones, marking off the improvement in global consciousness and and the ease the easement the reduction of human suffering little by little <clears throat> and it's going to accelerate in a sense this was another argument uh, the canadian had with me i was saying you know things are getting worse and worse and he said no things are getting better and better well it all depends on your point of view <laughs> yeah my life is getting better but it's clothed in suffering <laughs> <laughs> and yet every turn of events that's intended to cause me harm and pain and suffering is well it doesn't kill me yet and it just makes me stronger and it makes me more highly disciplined and like a spartan soldier and um oddly enough i'm getting supportive nature you know, my environment, It so long as I pitch in, though, <laughs> and just don't expect it to be handed to me on a silver platter, so to speak, or a golden platter. Um, at my age, you know, to be retired my whole life and then all of a sudden have to work when I have no job skills uh, other than skills I have that don't pay, so they're not job skills, are they? But they are skills. I can do research, and I know what it's like to be an activist, although it's not a lot of fun, but uh, <laughs> I've been both. Uh, but that's all I've known. That's all I've known. Anyway. Um, so I hope this puts in perspective where I come from when I do what I do. Because I've had a string of teachers in the past, some of whom were enlightened. But that doesn't make me enlightened necessarily. It just means that they were willing to take the time and the trouble to be with me be probably because of my dedication to public service and who started me on that, Charlie Lutz, in a very past lifetime. So that has a lot of meaning to a few people on this planet, maybe not anyone else. But that does mean something, and it means something to the angels who know better, who know what's what and what's going down. Um, I, don't, I can't tell the difference anymore between a human acting like an angel who to me appears to be an angel for all intents and purposes or whether or not they really are an angel who manifested themselves temporarily to give some assistance and then dematerialize I don't know any better because the line demarcating uh, the angelic realm with the human is so blurred from my perspective at this point 
when assistance is, is rendered to me. Whether or not I recognize it and take advantage of it, sometimes I can be pretty stupid. Be that as it may, I can't tell the difference anymore when I am paying attention. The line is so blurred, I just don't know anymore who's an angel and who's a human when assistance is offered. Because I know how it works. An angel can fake, like any good actor does, like Meryl Streep, for instance, getting into her character, or Nick Nolte, when they get into her character, they become the character. They're no longer Nick Nolte. They're no longer Meryl Streep. They're so good at it. And the angels, I'm sure, are just as good an actor as any good method actor is. They can fake human suffering to fit in and and appear to be humble and um, meek and... um, you know, very plain and unassuming, so well that you won't be able to tell the difference. But you'll wonder, <laughs> As, hmm, <laughs> you know, that little thought will be in your brain. I wonder, <laughs> and you, and that's about all you will be able to do, because <laughs> you won't know for certain. Oh God, it's so believable. I mean, it's just <laughs> that's life, right? And that's why they're called mystery workers, because you won't know. You'll just wonder. (laughs) Gee, I wonder. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder if I'm real. (laughs) I'm not so sure sometimes. I don't know. Maybe I left my body and I'm just an android, a zombie walking around. (laughs) Oh, God, an empty shell. I don't know anymore. Oh, God. Um, Gee, I've covered a lot. Is it, is it enough? Let me see. Hmm. Let me think about. Uh, uh, hmm. I guess that is enough. <laughs> oh God. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. <laughs>